This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. They're all here the divas, princes, and living legends you should be obsessed with. Sitting down with me, I'm David Goldberg. These are the luminaries. This time it's the stand-up Zach Zimmerman, whose comedy deals with his evangelical upbringing and the cult-like world of contemporary gay life. I hope you enjoy. Zach Zimmerman, welcome to my domain. It's a major honor to have you here. Stop. Keep going. Stop. Does this mean I'm a luminary? You are a luminary. You are uh, you are not only a luminary, but you are kind of a founding father (gasps) in the mythology of the luminaries wow. because that, I don't think I would have quit my job and started like become a full-time whatever I am without you and your welcome, inspiration listeners. and I wouldn't have started this podcast without you and also I'd say when I was starting this podcast you gave me some critical feedback which I chose to ignore and I sometimes regret <gasps> what did I say well the week this was coming out you were like oh. okay you know there's this like network called luminary podcast that's launching maybe you don't want to have the same name as that and I was like, it's too late. I had the idea first. <laughs> Fuck everyone. So that's that. But hopefully when someone Googles Luminary Podcast Network to listen to, I don't know, Trevor Noah's show, they come across you. Or if Luminary Podcast Network would like to buy me out, um, they're welcome to. Buy me out, daddy. Buy me out, Viacom. father. <laughs> Sherry Redstone. Thank you for calling me a founding father. That's uh, always a badge of honor and never uh, criticized or uh, problematic in any way. You... The le- I feel like my 2019 would not have happened if I didn't have your momentum to feed off of. Really, I, I don't think I would have been able to take the leaps that I've taken if you hadn't kind of set an example. When you quit your job, went full time, and like went on a roll, and rather than just doing one thing, you would do ten things at a time and just like try, try, try. And I was like, okay, I got to be like Zach, Serge, you know? Oh my god. Wait, that's so weird to hear because my really? my things are all driven by like deep self doubt. So the idea that I'm like inspiring anyone to do any one thing, I think of it as um, do you know content warning suicide? Do you know the um like suicide bump or this idea that when it's like reported in media, there's an uptick in suicides all over, and it's oh. part of why there's issues with like thirteen reasons why or whatever. Oh, Basically, once a thing gets publicized as an option. More people are like taking it seriously. Yeah, I think of quitting a job as capitalism suicide, and mm. when people, when you do it, people like kind of take notice. Like, wait, you said no to money? I don't understand. I like, that's an option. I can it's pursue weird. something else, and it's wrapped up in, in so much in terms of like, yeah, your background and upbringing and finances, and to be able to take that leap is a luxury. But um, you actually were very uh, clear with me because I am someone who anytime I've had a job, the minute I get it, I'm thinking about sabotaging and blowing it up. And I constantly was like, I'm ready. I want to quit my job. Fuck this. <laughs> and you were actually like, you don't need to do anything. When the time comes, you'll know. And I actually s- shut up and listen for once in my life. And somehow when the time came, I did know. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, mm-hmm. Zach was right, bitch. You should have listened I- rather than trying to like – because I kept trying to force it to happen. 
And it just wasn't happening. And then it came to a point where I was like, oh, it's so obvious. Now is the moment. But I, it was such good advice you gave me, which is like, this isn't like so easy to do. And you kind of just need to like do it when it comes for you. Not you. This is not something you want to force. Right, right. There's um, I totally stole that advice from a friend of mine where she was like, can you like care less about your job? Mm. Like try that for a while. Try caring less and doing other things inside of it. And then slowly like... There was a moment, I forget when it was, but like, oh, I'd gotten like a New Yorker piece and I got to like call the cartoonist that yes. had like drawn it and it was my first one and it was big for her too and I got to give her the great news and I was like, that was the beginning of the universe kind of like whispering like, Zach, this, there might might be enough signals that <laughs> you, could, you could make a career out of like this thing or go after it and then, but the universe like yells yeah. eventually. If you're like listening to, not that I, I mean, I don't believe in God, but I do like to imagine there's some puppeteer like kind of sending signals. Um, or there's some sort of like a natural resonance, you know. I like that. It doesn't yeah. need to be God, but there does seem to be like a momentum or a system that right. you can either work against or work with. Yes. And working with it is just so much easier. <laughs> Although sometimes I feel like I'm aggressively working against a thing in terms of trying to speed up my timeline because so much of when you make a thing to like fill a hole within you you Mm. want it today and you don't realize that like oh it might take a decade for this to come to fruition it might take a (laughs) lifetime i might be on my deathbed and that's when i get my comedy central special and i like record it from my terminally ill like hospital bed that's not a really that's not a bad idea for a show me doing a final stand-up set hooked up to IVs and everything. And you can't, yeah, you can't predict or plan for that type of thing. Well, I, this week, cracked open Celtics, the script writing software. Oh, the free one. Yeah. Yes. I used to have Final Draft. I can't remember my password, but um, (laughs) I got it as a graduation present uh, from my family who, ironically, you know, gave me the tools to write about them. Anyways, it was the first time I've typed anything resembling I started writing a feature idea it's the first time I've done that in about five years this was two days ago and I had this moment where I was like oh wow this is what it looks like to write a script not at gunpoint because the last time I worked on scripts I was on the other side of my 20s and I was like this has to be it if this isn't it I should kill myself if this doesn't make me famous or get me out of my life what's the point And when I started writing this script, which I'm sure it's going to go in that direction, everything I do does, it was nice to have that moment of like, oh, this is what it looks like to have perspective and to be on the other side of that thing that I thought needed to happen immediately and didn't happen. Thank God it didn't happen. Oh, my God, yes. Like, it's crazy to revisit those things and be like, well, I would never have this. It's good that thing didn't happen because I was not the person... I needed to be yes, for it. Yes, yes. I've listened to, or like Joel Kim Booster talks about that, how like his rise has, he's been given the things at the right moment. And some of the books I'm reading talk about like, uh, I'm reading up on a lot of like sitcom TV writing and they talk about how like, you do not want to sell your first pilot. You do not want to be a showrunner at 25. Like you, no. to actually get the skills and know what a room is like, you don't want success at that age. And then the book, oh, it's, <laughs> it's so funny. I should take a picture of it. It's like, I know what you're thinking, y'all. Lena Dunham. <laughs> it's I just, just thought of And that it just too. goes into, like, her story. And, like, the, but she's, I guess, an ex- exception to some sort of rule. But, like, you don't want the... If 
Yeah, you don't want the keys to your dad's car at eight. Right. You're not and, ready and to drive it. I, you know, girls is, I love girls, but she like, unfortunately, because she was so young, she got put under all the scrutiny, which I don't think was fair. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe if she were older, she would have been more prepared for that. Like, it, it is that sort of thing of like, yeah, maybe you would not just in the writing itself or, but like the rest of, you know, maybe, maybe when really big things happen, we'll have more relationships or love or friendships that can help get us through them. Like, all sorts of things, yeah. Another thing I've, so I'm randomly helping to co-teach a class about TV comedy writing, which I'm grossly underqualified to do. Obsessed. But it's ended up being a fair number of like interviews with people in that world. Yeah. And one of the recurring themes is just around failure and just how many, for every project we've seen them in, there are 10 projects that didn't pan out and all those failures led to a success. Not that that like has to be the narrative of one's life that like this huge thing happened and I had to do X Y Z for it. But I'm just realizing how much of the creative world is connected to failures and things not happening and things being much smaller than you want them to be, and how you have to be okay with that to go into this world. You can't. Something I struggle with is tying my self worth up with things that I create and do rather than seeing them as, like, separate projects. Well, something that I really glean from you and that I try to take on for myself, watching your example, especially last year, is I felt like you did this thing where you were like, I'm going to have a lot of projects, and they're all experiments, and we're going to see what works and what doesn't, and we're going to keep collecting data and keep Mm -hmm. moving. And I felt like you seem to have a real sense of buoyancy because you could be trying one thing, and a lot of your things, I think, have gone really well, but it seemed like you were able to like keep a sense of momentum that way, mm-hmm. and I'm just curious like how that developed or if you even saw it that way. Oh, I'm it, I'm sure it started from a very like toxic place of okay. needing like external validation. Or um, for me, there's so much in our world that you cannot control that you have to like make the things that you can control. Like I can sit down and write words on a page and memorize those words and go into a stage and tell those words. I can go to a bar, ask, hey, can I have a slot here? I can ask a friend to graphic design. I can, what is in your control? Because I would love nothing more than to be asked to be a part of someone else's thing. (laughs) Like, to be booked on someone else's show, those are like moments of, ah, what a dream. Or to be like, asked to be in someone else's project. Yeah, I guess I'm at a, it's a middle school playground and like people are playing soccer and they're not asking me to play soccer. So I like draw a hopscotch thing and just start playing by myself and then maybe someone comes over and sees it. But otherwise it's really just me hopping around and people staring and judging from afar. And how, how have you reconciled with that, with that, that loneliness? How do you keep from isolating and how do you keep from getting bitter? (sighs) Girl. Girl, bitterness is the scariest and the most like toxic thing that I there know. is. It's really hard. And you have to, oh, you have to catch yourself and avoid it so much. Because once I start comparing or feeling that I'm entitled to literally anything other than like air, yeah, it it fucks you up. I went to, this is not my scene at all, but I saw you there too. I. I don't like dancing. I wanted to bring this up. I don't like... <laughs> I I, I'm sure it comes from a place school. of self-loathing, but, like, gay spaces are... Some crowded gay spaces aren't my favorite. I'm 
a little claustrophobic. I used to like dancing. I don't like dancing. I wish I was just a brain in a jar. Unfortunately, I'm like inhabiting this body. But I went to Love Prism at $3 when bill. When you said middle school, I was like, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and what was, but what was fascinating about it, though, is just kind of hearing from other people that once they start comparing themselves, it's mostly physical and like body based. So for anyone who's never been, it's uh, uh, it's a circuit party, and like half the people take their shirts off and, and half don't. Half the people are gay comedians. <laughs> it's literally gay comedy bar mitzvah world. I talk about it all the time. Oh, okay. funny! It's like five percent gay comedians, maybe. Which is more than plenty. Right, right, right. But I'm just thinking in terms of people comparing themselves to like yeah. the physical stature of others, and I, you'll see like Adonises who then are like. Everyone here is so beautiful. Like there, once you think, once you start comparing yourself to other people, you lose because we always compare ourselves to what we think is the best of them, rather than like, oh, actually, six pack McGee just got dumped and is really sad and doesn't like their job. Or I, I wish all of these things upon six pack McGee, but totally. But that's where like a seed of bitterness comes from. I create um, these like narratives in my head that have nothing to do with anything. Yes, it's such a bad use of your creative it's so power. Weird. Yeah. But we point it towards because we're you're a cre- you're a creative luminary genius. Hello. And you but once you point once you waste your precious little creative energy on building some story about that person, what a way I do it too. And do though. I and often I really have to like screech to a stop and say do you even want what that person has? <laughs> like, if you could wake up in that person's body, is that even what you would want to be doing? And no. then, and usually, the answer is no. They're doing something that interests them. Or they might not even be. They may have sold out. Right, you know, right. and it's like, babe, what do you want to be doing? Yes. And then usually, there's no comparison required because only you can do it. My ex used to do this. And mm. I, he was such a clear example of it. I was able to be like, what are you doing? But now I'm like, oh, I'm guilty of this, too. He wanted to be a playwright. He wanted to write plays, long plays. And yet he would get, like, mad that I was touring for Second City doing, like, sketch comedy and Mm -hmm. improv. He has no desire to be performing in front of people, but yet he still let a little bit of jealousy about that seep into his life and it's scary because what's really scary about it is like I've been in that place so many times and I can smell it on others and it is you can smell <sighs> it from a while away shower. yeah it's like all that over. it you can see that you can see when someone's eyes are sizing you up yeah you know yeah you can see that like it, it's scary the well, you can see when the wheels are spinning. My big narrative is around money. So I, like, didn't come. I'm sure everyone's in many different brackets. I don't actually know where I fall in terms of the world, but I would identify as lower middle class slash poor. We'd, I never wanted for food, and I was lucky for that growing up. But, like, daddy or my uncle wasn't an NBC uh, executive. <laughs> <laughs> Not. I'm sure someone out there is. Um, but, like, I, whenever I look at traditional comedic success of other people's and I point to just access to opportunities and financial stability where they didn't have to go after this job or that job. Like, yes, everyone still has to like actually create and make and it's a hustle and like everyone's working very hard, but the like 
toxic, lazy narrative that I come up with is like, oh, you're loaded. Uh-huh. That's just like you're able to do, you're able to look beautiful, and you got to go to therapy at 16 and figure all this out. And that can be that is usually true. However, like However, you can only go so far with it before you're right. like, okay, what are you gonna do? Like rip off that, rip their Harvard degree in half and <laughs> show it to their <laughs> showrunner, you know? Yeah, oh, I feel like you're coming for my Princeton degree. Oh, I forgot. Oh, right, right, right. No, no, need no. based aid though. I always but and first generation different. too. Yeah, but and it's also different. It's there's no Princeton lampoon. Oh that yeah, that gets you Harvard's a writing so job. So much better at like pumping this comedy Harvard's machine. Bizarre, yeah. Man, I hope. Dragons. I know. Should I? Am I? Am I bitter? Maybe I'm bitter. I, I think everyone's bitter, and I think it's just about like being aware of it. It's okay. Um, I'm like, do you really want to waste a day when I'm poking through somebody's Instagram story and I see they have gotten a thing or they're doing a exactly. cool thing and they're with those people? Do I really want to give a whole day up to like feeling jealous and bitter and bad about myself? In terms sulking? of the thing about like, uh, you know doing things alone I do think another thing with your comedy slash variety shows is like I do think you've done a really nice job of building like a a company and a community around you and like there are drag queens there are comedians who I think a lot of people have seen for the first time maybe at your shows and I do think you have like a nice little world that you've built around you especially as someone who's only been in New York for almost three years now it'll be three years and two months exactly so I'm I'm still riding that just about two years train I mean it's amazing (laughs) like how many people you have around you and even that, I sometimes like, oh, if I, I mean, I got into NYU, but they didn't give me enough money. So I'm like, oh, if I had more money, maybe I would have gone to NYU and now I'd have decades of friends here. Uh-huh. Um, Same. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But I I do crave, I crave community. Mm -hmm. And it can be hard to formally build that. Like I would love nothing more than to be a part of like a collective or an ensemble. Mm -hmm. And yet I don't want to name it. I no, don't want to have becomes to a cult. And I think based on your childhood and like we avoid cult cults. Christianity yeah. world, frankly, yes. I'd be a good-ish leader of a cult, aren't I? Any, One day? But no, I think you never could because I have this too. Anytime I hear like a, J, like a JWF or UCB, I'm like, mm, that sounds like a cult to me. That's where... I need like an unofficiality to yep. it. Part of... I feel like I got to live a life in Chicago and play a game, and then I got to new, come to New York and kind of, like, see things uh, at a thousand-feet view and be Good. like... Because when I played the whole Second City I.O. game, like, trying to climb these ladders... We love ladders as humans. Yeah. Uh, and so when I moved to New York, I was very like, eh, I don't really want to take Improv 101 Good. and, like, spend all this money and time. And looking back, maybe I could have very easily plugged into, like, a community. Maybe it would have been valuable. But I was sort of like, let me carve out my own little area of the world rather than like starting at the bottom of someone else's ladder so I want to talk about Edinburgh um, you took your show Clean Comedy to the Edinburgh Festival yes and that obviously was triumphant because um, you basically had to do the show every night for six weeks correct it ends up being around like yeah 30 performances so like an hour long thing and get one night off and I did mine like two thirds of the way through 
And it's so funny to think, like, there are people on Broadway doing shows, like, eight nights a week. and mm, Yeah, but they're not doing them mostly alone. Most Broadway shows, you're part of an ensemble. Uh, you word. have a full support staff. Yep. You did do this on yep. your own in a foreign country. And there's, I don't, maybe this is, there's an element of having, like, written and performed a thing that's a level of, like, vulnerability Exactly. That may be inheriting someone else's script and inhabiting a character. It still requires vulnerability, but yeah. And listening to, I think in in stand-up, you're adjusting pacing a little bit more than like, oh, I'm singing a song on a Broadway stage. Wow, I love that I'm dragging Broadway only because it was the original dream and we just don't have the chops for it. That's the the real struggle. I'm not indulging this, but I'm a very bass and it's a tenor's world. It's a tenor's world, David. (laughs) It's you versus Donna Murphy. And only one more surprise. Okay, so I do want to know with Edinburgh, like, what you gain from it, what what maybe you feel like if you accomplished something with it, if it felt like a a threshold that you crossed of, of no return. And what were the challenges? And, you know, maybe... Because I know it's, like, a traumatic experience, too. I've only done my show once one night, and I'm still recovering from it. I'm just curious, (laughs) like, when you came back, what happened? When you were there, what was it like? You know, because I think you put yourself through this very rare gauntlet that few people do, and it's kind of like the positive and the dark side of hustling and doing this thing alone. It's kind of this intense amazing yeah crucible and just a concentration of of life mm-hmm. you're living like what would be three months six months maybe a year within a month and it's <laughs> all the good and the bad uh that come from that for me i'd only heard about it like a year or two before um baby on candy a musical improv troupe in chicago always sent people over to do it original musical improv show every night i never got like picked from the group to do it and so it was cool to a uh, very wonderful couple saw a show of mine in December and they're like, we want to take a show to Edinburgh. Can we like help you? And so that was kind of cool to have people like yeah. supporting you and they connected me with a director. And that was so invaluable in terms of, and I know you worked with a director on your show, kind of stand-ups. It, it, it's a coin toss on whether people work with other people or not. But for Edinburgh, having like someone to push me from like a coach perspective, like, Zach, write a better joke. Mm. Write a joke only you can write. Like, what better joke here, better joke. We need this, we need that. Go write about X, Y, Z. He was, like, instrumental in kind of help, helping me craft it, believe in it. Um, and then you kind of get there, and you have all these, like, hopes and dreams and, like, anticipations for it, and you quickly get sucked into a, a world that has, like, clear success metrics like mm-hmm. okay a sold out show okay reviews like it's a PR festival so every, you want to read your reviews you want to get your stars there's literally mm-hmm. they're giving out like one to five stars for shows and then you type it you put it uh, on your poster everywhere and then there's even like a fucking an award there's like right. a comedy awards and a panel that goes to everything so it clicks you into all the like best and worst parts about like high school and middle school um, and you're literally an exchange student in a foreign school. Yes. So yes. now you're, it's not even awards that you knew about. Right, right, right. You're, you're like, now oh, like, I need, yeah. oh, I need like this London publication to love me. I right, mean, it's right. so, it's even more of this. Yes, okay. yes. And meanwhile, someone I talked to early on about whether I should go or not, they were like, wait, you're doing in New York what the, what the people at Edinburgh want to be doing. Like, mm. why would you go to Edinburgh? Why would you? So part of me was just like, I knew it would be, like, creatively fulfilling and I'd be a better artist. Like, 
for better or worse, if you have to do a thing 30 times in a row, you're going to learn how to do it better and differently, yeah. and you better be proud of it. And my director really pushed me in that, like, do the hard work now so that when you're at Edinburgh, it's more fun because audiences are laughing. They're liking the show. They're right. talking about it. You're getting good audiences. And so that was good. The biggest thing from just getting to do the same thing 30 times in a row was around, like, actually like listening and pacing mm. with the audience. Um, my background's in improv, so you always listen to the audience. Like, they laugh. They tell you, oh, we found that funny. Do that a hundred more times right. in this scene. Or, like, they actually help live steer it. What you've done when you've written a thing, like, you have to know where this is going. But there's a way to appreciate the uniqueness of the night and the laughter you do nice. get. And it's honestly a nice... Uh, like mantra for life like don't call out laughs you don't get so you you come out you say your first joke there's maybe not as big of a response as you've gotten on previous nights don't reprimand an audience don't like immediately look at what you don't have rather when they do laugh at the second joke or the 20th joke celebrate that in your specific way whether it's like a smile or an aside commenting hey you like that one and so learning those that it is it's a conversation, but one half of the conversation can only be like, ha, ha, ha. And you're not in control and that you have to pay attention. Yes. And you're in dialogue. And you can't let your self-worth be defined. But what's nice is you're going to have a good show, and then you're going to have a bad show. And you kind of condense it enough. And so you know it's not you. Like, you know, this material works. Like, there was something weird about that night. Maybe, like, mm. the temperature in the room. David, everywhere is so hot. I'm very sensitive to temperature. It's kind of, I don't know. I, <laughs> I know, was, and we're, we're recording in a fucking gulag, I'm, I'm so. dripping, but it's, it's good. It's fun. But in Edinburgh, they build, everywhere is a venue, so the back of a random bar, and they build. So I was on the second floor, and they had built these two black boxes, but there was no ventilation system. Yeah. And so I was at 10.30, 10.45 at night, and so all the body heat from the, like, 50 people seeing the other show, 50 people, was in the room. So I grew to hate my show. And when I came in, like, 15 minutes before and I opened the door, there was just this, like, dragon breath of heat that would hit me. And I would have to – I ended up doing the show in, like, shorts, black shorts and a black shirt to, like, hide all my sweat. I learned a lot about sweat rags. I gave out water mid-show just kind of to, like – there were moments when I was like, am I really doing – I bought a thermometer just so I would, like – don't go crazy because wow. I'm like, oh, it is 85 degrees. Okay, I'm not just oh like God, yeah. warm in the room. The the ultimate twist, they have like these mobile air conditioning units. So there were like two that they put at the very back of the theater. And so I'd get in there and like fill them with ice and just pump them. And like halfway through the run, one of the venue staff took me aside like, um, Zach, someone's been peeing in the air conditioning unit. Uh, are... Are you peeing in the air conditioning unit? <laughs> I was suspect number one because I've been Howard complaining Hughes. about the heat. <laughs> the, he's been doing the show for too long. Something's wrong. But it, we never found out who it was. But, uh, yeah, I feel like I went to literal hell and came out in terms of just, like, the temperature of my venue. When you came back to America, what, <laughs> what was that like for you? Like, did you... I was depressed for a month. Yeah, what what happened? Because you get, it made me think like, does Lady Gaga cry at the end of her tour? Like, to yes. to actually go out on stage and like absorb 
everyone's energy and that like adrenaline and feel like a fucking rock star and then to not have that mm-hmm. like there was a month where it was the only thing that brought me out of kind of this depressive slump when it would, I knew it was going to happen rationally but then it was a little late so it caught me off guard but then the only way I got rid of it was doing the show again like it, it is a drug in that way where I, I'm like wait why am I so depressed oh I haven't fucking done a show in a while well I think like I only did my show one night but I as it was happening, I felt like everything lining up for the purpose of the show. I I told you this, I think, but like when Lex Luthor turns the sun blue mm-hmm. um, to spite Superman, Superman converts every cell in his body into pure solar energy and flies into the sun. And it was se- <laughs> I thought about that a lot when I was doing my show because I was like, I just feel like my immune system, everything is like falling apart but all of it is being driven towards this one singular purpose and it's hard to come back to moving uh like life yes reality where things feel so fragmented all over the place chaotic and you don't have this like pure vessel to pour it all into it's really really hard so i can't imagine how you did that you're reshaping like time like, yeah. there's a way we experience time, and then once you put a date on the calendar of, like, a show, you've, like, picked your due date for your baby, and that's going to, like, change the day after that. I've been told that the most depressing day of your life is the day after you win an Oscar, mm. and that is terrifying. Mm. I've yet to figure out totally what my, like, post-show routine is. I usually, like, like in the days after a big thing, do you, like, give yourself downtime? Do you go to the gym? Weirdly, I had to unexpectedly move in the past month. Yeah. My landlord was like, well, I'm turning this into an office. And I was like, oh, great. Uh, and it weirdly was nice to be snapped into a very mundane, physical, visible activity. Yeah. I was like, okay, move all your things, Zach. Like, yeah, put these in a, a box. part of your brain. Right. Because so much of performing is this ephemeral thing and writing and words or whatever. It's very satisfying to like put shit in a box and move that box and take the stuff out of the box. So yeah. maybe I advise after a big like intellectual event, like schedule something like with your hands and very rudimentary. I do want to share my lessons from Edinburgh. Great. These uh, Henry Kapersky was there as well, music directing Cat Cohen show, and he and I were bonding over just like the crucible of fringe. And I texted him like all my lessons like that I had learned. Amazing. And I Great. haven't looked at these in months. Okay. I'm sure they're still valuable and obviously uh-huh. easier said than done. Um, what do I say? Fringe just accelerates lessons that might have been taken longer back at home. Lesson one. Mm. It's dangerous to gamble your self-worth in an industry governed by money and luck. Mm. This is a hard life and hard work. It's okay to have an okay career. I need regular exercise, good diet, a solo place to live, and a cheerleader of five to make my best work. Mm, Jealousy nature. zaps my creative energy. Live performance about your life might be the most dangerous thing to share. I can be a dick slash diva. The second any of us gets any Hollywood fairy dust, I will share and sprinkle it all over other people. Mm. <laughs> so it sounds like these lessons are part of the transformation of someone 
who maybe in the past was working towards like the big break that changes everything towards an understanding of what longevity means. That's, and that that's is a lesson beautiful. we all have to learn. And it sounds like you learned that of like, oh, this is hard and it's going to keep being hard and the results will be different every time. Yes. And that's like something you have to learn. I built, for me, I went into it with such a pun intended fringe scenario of what success looked like. Mm-hmm. like sold out shows, five stars. I mean, I got good reviews and I had good shows. I had a good fringe. Yeah. But in my mind, like if I didn't win every award and launch a UK career, it was, wasn't worth the amount of like time I was putting into it. And then when I didn't get that thing, which of course not, like one out of a billion gets it, I was like, is this all for nothing? Yeah. So it was nice to apply that then to the broader life. I'm reading the one of the books about TV sitcom writing calls the thing your big break and it's like you cannot schedule your lucky break you cannot predict when it will happen all you can do is be fucking ready have a portfolio of incredible scripts and material and know who you are and who your voice is when it does happen and put yourself it's also like everybody has to move to la the tv writing books say and so put yourself in environments where that will potentially happen but Uh you can't like do a project hoping it will directly Ugh, lead to that's a lucky break. Yeah. I was listening to this interview about um, there's this poet. I, I don't, I think it's maybe Megan O'Rourke who's this poet. And you know, she has a lot of poetry collections that do as well as any poetry collection would do. But she wrote for Slate an article about Crocs, which of course has millions of views right, because right, it's right. this like investigation into Crocs. And I'm sure it's and anyways the whole point of the the thing is like that's probably her most read thing. Mm. But it's not it's doubtful her most her thing that she cares about the most and that's okay. Right. Like she uh, I don't I can't speak for her, but what I got from that is like, oh okay, you can like she probably would not have said like, oh I want this Crocs thing to be the thing that like the world sees more than anything, mm-hmm. but Okay, she did it. It's gone. It's out of her hands. What people do with it or how they receive it, it's not in her control. And anyways, I thought that was kind of inspiring. Yeah. Someone once told me don't do anything you don't want to do for like 20 years. Just be careful because you can't control what's going to like take off. So only do things you really love and believe in because they may get more attention than you realize. That's real. Um, That's real. The, the I'm starting Trick Mirror, which I'm very behind uh, mm, me the too. world I on. To start I know I'm And just talking about like the scale that exists now with so much like the way you measure success around a thing the internet like distorts our perception of like if you sold out a venue and you had 100 people see your show what is that compared to like 10,000 views of a thing online or yeah where do we we're like stretching ourselves and experiencing uh, attention at a scale that's never been heard of before like are we going to stretch ourselves out so far that nothing else can like please us ever again like do you once you have a million followers does everything like that's smaller than that not feel as meaningful like you're like "Ah, more 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 are we all becoming just like right and there's that thing of like well once i performed at joe's pub where else is there to perform that's the best place like you know once i performed at this venue in new york there's no more dreams there's no more worlds left to conquer and it's like actually right. what matters is what you're doing in the performance mm-hmm. is this a new level for you is this challenging for you it's not about which venues you've covered or, because yeah, you could yeah. do shit at madison square garden <laughs> that doesn't stimulate you and doesn't try you what 
the real gauntlet, like the real growth has to be in the content. And I want to host an open mic at Madison Square Garden where everyone gets like <laughs> two seconds to like just say their name and we, uh, everyone like buys a ticket maybe, but then everyone can say they've performed at Madison Square Garden. So I want to ask your advice about something because you're someone Do who it. in just their comedy talks about their family and you've really done a good job, it seems, of, like, reconciling the madness that you grew up with while being able to, like, incorporate your family in on the joke and continue having good relationships, which I cannot imagine how you do that. And I'm just curious if you have any advice about that, if you, like, developed any practice with that. I mean, avoid it if you can. No. Yes. But <laughs> uh, so much of what I did was unconscious at the time, and now I've had to look back at, like, the outcomes of it. Um, what's it ends up being the internet that fucks everything up because now in our lives like your fifth grade math teacher was a character in your past and if you tell a story about her she exists in your mind as a character but now they can Facebook message you like right. everyone's hyper connected in a weird way so if when I tell a story about my mom on stage I have to be ready for like mom might hear that story or when, before my album came out, I was like, what what ethical responsibility do I have to my ex, who's a character in it, to tell him that that's going to happen? Like, and what level. is the answer to that? Because I'm dealing with this exact thing, and I don't really understand what I'm supposed... Like, what you, is the answer? You own your experience. Okay. And you are the author of your story and how you experience things. There is a element of, like, the blurring, maybe, of am I going to say someone's name and their social security number? Am I going to, like, uh, not give their name and they're just kind of like a character? Okay. Um, <sighs> I, I think often people... I asked a friend of mine, Blythe Robertson, who had written a book on how to date men when you hate men, which is very funny and smart and brilliant, and asked her about it, like, oh, there's a couple, like, characters in this that are from your life, and it kind of ends up being... A, 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 the most you are required to give them is a courtesy. Like, hey, I have a book coming out. It tra like I'm I discuss our relationship. I don't name you, um, but I just wanted to give you like a heads up. Um, which can be a decent courtesy. For me, my I do who do I drag? I don't drag anyone through the mud. Like no. ultimately people's action I present people's actions as as they have done and my experience of those things and it's been a careful blocking of my mother on social media in certain instances where she just doesn't care for like me talking about butthole videos or whatever to you then want their validation you want mom to say like you're so funny I'm so proud of you uh and yeah <laughs> I'm sure Someone must have written about this because, like, plenty of artists exactly are talking about their parents or whatever. But, I mean, what a jealous world. But you were able to incorporate your mom into clean comedy where she was in on the joke. She provided some of the, like, she narrates the show. Right. And then you did a show where she comes and judges dirty jokes from your friends in New York. So you've actually found a really amazing way to, like, invite your mom. She... I think it's very specific to her. Okay. Because I think we're cut from the same cloth and that I think the spotlight brings her out of her, some of her closed-minded beliefs. Yeah. And, like, 
you you can be a bigot, but you have to watch what you say if you want to come to New York City. Right. Like she wants loves the attention and the stage, and I get that from her, and so that's kind of the way to like call her out. But I was thinking about it today, girl. I plunged into after that show such a dark depression and like anxious place. My Sam. <laughs> It, I mean, I want to say it gets better, but it obviously takes time. The weirdest thing was my body was, like, tingling. That's how my anxiety was manifesting. And I was like, do I have a nerve disorder? And my hypochondria was acting up. And I was like, no, you just hosted your mother in New York for three days, did a show with her, released a thing at a scale you weren't yet ready for. That's what is good about, like, staggered success yes. and waiting until – like, yes, you did an amazing show at the duplex for 80 to 100 people – if that tomorrow was exposed to a thousand people or becomes a thing that everyone could get access to and watch and digital, no way. it's a different, weird psychological, even if not a th- million people listen to it. No, you're right. The idea that there's, there's a, uh, you can go on your phone now and within 10 seconds hear me talking about a breakup. You yeah. can hear me talking about evangelical parents. And that is a, a vulnerable thing that, like, as a, artist in need of validation and wanting to share my story is a powerful thing but it's also terrifying because like you know more about me than I know about you right now. Brene Brown talks about vulnerability hangovers too and just being prepared for like hey after you do a huge thing realize that's draining on your poor little body we haven't evolved so that you can talk to that many people like microphones are are blasphemous to like human uh, anatomy like we should this podcast I shouldn't be talking I should be talking to three people at most my entire life and, and instead more than that will be listening to the things I have to say and even today I'm realizing like what you just said crystallized it so well of like oh I didn't know this when I was doing it but when I did that show I wanted certain things to happen mm. I wanted uh the people who the show is about to change. I wanted them to believe me. I wanted them to give me some sort of love that I don't think I got, that I'm never going to get, okay? And the show did give me a lot of other things. The show gave me a new family, a new community, blah, blah, blah. But there are consequences. And, like, you're right. You really do have to, like, there is a, a, it's a good thing that success can be staggered so that you can, like, reconcile one thing at a time rather than yes. all at once because I I'm sure I would have And you have to mind. be unconscious to it at a certain level because I, I you think if you yeah. if you really knew what you had done and what the implications and the stakes were and how you're going to feel after people wouldn't make anything but you Absolutely not you have to make that it like in leap this, yeah. has to come from a place of delusion and purity oh, I mean cuz nice. when I was writing the show I really felt so as lonely as I felt, I also felt really hopeful and, like, I felt this huge sense of peace and release. And then when the show is over, you're like, oh, wait, actually, like, <laughs> the world is still shit. You can change. You, your, like, your work won't transform other people the way that you want to. Yeah, whatever. Oh, I don't want to make will. this about it me. It will. What is next for it? I'm going to do it again in March. and So soon? Yeah. There's already new stuff to put in from the aftermath and the consequences of it. So anyways, but what what you just said really was very good advice of like...
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And like, yeah, of course, doing this thing with your mom was not going to be like, okay, what's next? But of now I've fucking to... learned because right. I have a show coming up in March and I was like, oh, I'll bring my mom and we'll do. And then my body started being like, no. Yeah, maybe you don't need and to. And I was like, no. Great. Why? What about taking care of yourself? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. Put your. Yes. <laughs> so going into the new year. Well, we're, we're in February. We're about to be in March. Yeah, Sorry, not going to the new year. But yeah, as we look out on 2020, like, what do you want to do that you haven't done before? What do you want to expand that you've been doing? Like, what? last year I felt like you were in this amazing place of throwing noodles at the wall and seeing what would land. And a lot of stuff landed really well. And I'm just curious, like, where you are now. I'm on keto right now, so I can't have noodles. Okay. I can only have zoodles, <laughs> which are a wonderful thing. Oh, man. What's 20? I mean... The, some exciting like uh, things I'm looking forward to. I'm gonna do go on like a little tour in March, the gay but not too fabulous tour. I'm calling it. Amazing. Gonna go back to Chicago, which I haven't been in like two and a half years, and that can be kind of like a weird triggering surreal, yeah. homecoming. And then do the show in L.A. to achieve fame and fortune, and then San Francisco, Portland uh, are on the list too, which I've never performed in, and it'll be super fun to do. And I've been working on like a ton of new material. I'm Amazing. debating what. If I want to do Edinburgh again, it's a nice way to, like, structure a year. Like, oh, what does a new hour look like? Like, and what do I have to say? Right now I'm kind of debating between doing my, like, Christian magic character and if he would do well over there. Or should I be doing a new stand-up? Or should I be like, oh, Zach, last year was pretty challenging. Maybe like, <laughs> let's not go back immediately. Um, but for me, the what's been cool is I got, like, a manager in November, which had been, like, a career goal for a while and... So she's phenomenal and, like, invested in me. And now part of me is like, oh, I need to make sure she can feed her dog. So I better get out there and, like, be making shit. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, so it's been nice to, like, have that. And I've really start done things I should have done when I was 20, like, have a TV comedy pilot. Like, sit down and actually, like, study the art form of TV comedy rather than, like, writing for a TV show being this, like, 12 year old dream like right. actually to think like oh do you like when you've never been asked to write a packet but when the moment comes do you have the packet ready like are you do you have your sketches do you have your your original idea like are you eh, take this thing from like a dream that's been out of your hands to achieve and be like what do you have control over what can you make right that's and amazing. also I'm just like what do I have I should probably have some sort of resolution for the year it's a little late for that I don't know, figuring out, being gentle with myself, figuring out my brain, body. I've seen an evolution in that. I think when I met you, you were definitely a little bit more myopic, a little bit more, like, driven, and a little bit more self-isolating. And I think, especially since Edinburgh, I, I see you, because you don't have a choice, being a little bit easier on yourself and just being like, all right, we're going to keep going. Okay, I whatever. did something I have been consciously doing more. I came back from Edinburgh, like, I'm going to go to a fuck ton of shows. I've mm. been, in Chicago, I remember being, like, kind of, like, 
I'm not going to your fucking improv show. Like, I like you, but like, I'm not going. me now. Um, <laughs> which I still do feel that way. I yeah, think about like, improv. Enough. But I more, or realizing, uh, selfishly in some ways, but like, going to see other people's shit is part of like, why we live in this city. It's true. And also, you can build community that way, and you can be inspired by other people's stuff. And, right, if a thing's amazing, like, oh, you were transformed, and like, I saw Jacqueline Novak's get on your knees, and it like, it could have inspired me or it could have made me be like fuck she's so good I need to get out of this game but just being exposed to that thing and increasing your reference level and knowledge can like lead to great things for you and also just like have more life and what I love which I do on every podcast amazing what I love too is when you see something bad yeah I know how this sounds (laughs) but this does come from a pure place when you see something bad and you're about to do something you can be like I am not going to do that. I am going to work very hard to not do that thing that pisses me off. Because Mm. I'm someone who, like, I'll complain about the same thing every show I see or every whatever I read. And then it's like, okay, well, bitch, it's your turn. Are you going to do it or not? And then you have to work. It makes you work kind of harder because you're like, I am not going to be that person that I bitched about for the past two years. Right, right, right. Sorry. It's so funny. I've started to be more gentle with my friends and the way we talk about bigger pieces of art. Because it's jarring. Like, films take years and thousands and millions of dollars. TV shows are so many cooks. Huge thing. Yeah. yeah. So to be like, that was bad. Right. Like, nah, that's too rudimentary. When I'm watching a thing, I try to become like a little doctor and like diagnose, like, okay, what were they trying to do and why have they not been able to like achieve it? Or what like three things would help this thing? This is why I love the Wachowskis so much because even when the Wachowskis do a really bad movie, they're still going for it. You know, like, yeah, I yeah, love yeah. that movie Jupiter Ascending, which I, I know everyone thinks is horrible, but, like, they tried something, and I'm always going to award that. I'm always going to say, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. even if somewhere this got bungled a little bit, I know you went for it. And that's what I can see that, and I'm always going to, like, give you props for that. Word. You know? So... Rather than, like, a lot of movies that are just... You could tell they are just kind of convenient and churned out. Yes. Well, it's something Novak says in her show, which everyone should go see. I think it's closing on Sunday, so you won't have a chance. But uh, it'll be in other countries and touring. Uh, is like, yeah, I may be overreaching, but why reach at all? Like, if you're not going to, like, try to do something incredible. I heard the Wachowskis apparently, when they were working on The Matrix, they got some budget for the whole movie and they used it to shoot the first like 10 minutes and then show it to the studio which is so just the 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 not bravado the the confidence in a vision of a thing and the badassery of that is so cool to me yeah chutzpah there it is i knew there was like a yeah and a lot of times that hasn't paid off oh and a lot of times they've lost studios money but they fucking went for it yes yeah i uh, right less comfortable art if you're not feeling anxious and nervous and scared about the thing Mm -hmm. like it's not a great use of your time or our time like push push the world put Mm. stop thank you don't don't make another no I don't mean to drag Big Bang Theory which is a smart and important show so Uh, important two and a half I don't know who what's the low hanging fruit of what to attack what to attack but like push Make especially today, people are so hungry. There's some the guard the rails of uh, just thinking about TV. Like 
uh, and cable services. Like, the types of stories you can tell are wilder than ever before. The, like, genres we have between comedy and drag and stand-up and mm-hmm. solo performance and musical theater, like, are, are blurring in so many interesting ways. Like, yeah, go do something super weird and ridiculous. So... Could you just one I more should time probably to... figure out something weird. I'm like trying Babe, to you're think now. always experimenting. Nah. Don't you? You are the least stagnant creator I've ever met. So, one more time, would you remind us your tour dates? Oh my God, yes, March 16th, I'm in Chicago. 17th, I'm in Portland, Great. Oregon. I'm doing it at a Crush Bar, which is like a really cool queer bar there. Part of the tour is this combination of like traditional comedy venues and queer spaces, which I'm very excited about. Chicago's at the Hideout, March 16th. Um, Portland Crush Bar the next night. The 18th, I'm in, in San Francisco at the Armory Club, which is like a Hello. sex club, apparently, in their basement there. Uh, and then popping down to L.A. on March 20th, Friday, March 20th, at the Lyric Hyperion, which is a very cute theater cafe space that a lot of people are doing interesting things in. Um, and so if anyone listening knows any press in those areas, let me know. I'll send you a little press release. Uh, it'd be great to like get lots of, I don't know, fun queer people out to the shows and it, it, it's a good time it's very autobiographical and we'll be goofy and fun and I think it'll be a nice little oh, kiki in the middle of fucking winter I'm, I'm running away to <laughs> Chicago I bet it's a thing of love really where can people follow you oh into the ocean baby <laughs> Kate Kate Chopin the awakening <laughs> or that one with the hot guys swimming um, are you thinking of dancer brother? from the dance no. oh okay What's it? Not Oedipus. There's something okay. where they're swimming. Well, of course, also the end of Dance. Well, there's Mad Men, but in the end of Dancer from the Dance, uh, the main character, Malone, on Fire Island, just like walks <gasps> into the ocean and is never seen from again. Ah! That could be you. Ah, that's beautiful. The swimming one's something about like he goes after, he doesn't have oh, the strength to right. swim back. I'll look it up. Okay, where can people follow you? Sorry, <laughs> I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Grinder at ZZ double ZZ. That's ZZ, <laughs> the word double. ZZ and uh, Zach-Zimmerman.com slash tour if you want the tour dates. Uh, you can listen to my album on Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, all that stuff. It's called Clean Comedy. Just search Zach Zimmerman. Um, and slide into my DMs, Always. right? You're ready. This is, I mean, I wouldn't mind. It's been three years since I've shared my my life with someone and it would be nice to, you know, have a plus one to some of these weddings I have to go to. Uh, we, we need kind of a positive cheerleader figure. Yes, and um, you have a lot of love to give, too. You will cheerlead someone on, too. You are very supportive. You're very patient. To my detriment, ready. I think. If you declare your wants and are clear about them, I will help you achieve them to my own uh, failures. Like, if you want to go to... My ex loved Paris, so we went to Paris a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, are um, we ending? Yes. I'm... This is just intermission, right? There's another hour. No, I mean, we could go for hours, but we are ending this wow. conversation. There oh, will be okay. more. Do we not have the room? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, We're getting booted. You have been a, a, a mentor and a friend and a sounding board, and I'm very thankful for that. Oh, and I'm likewise. excited to see this get bigger and bigger. You and an early uh, timeout ad about me, or whatever you call what you made, um, we'll listing. Never know. Uh, use the phrase chipper doom and that like helped me kind of be like oh maybe that is kind of part of my like style yeah so I think the yeah the interaction of artist and critic slash writer can be very uh, symbiotic yes and so I appreciate you 
as much as it seems like you're appreciating me. Good. And See, let's go take this over could the be, damn world. But your love could be, um, whatever love you have could be equally balanced. Um, oh. You sustaining them, them sustaining you, and not to your detriment. Just FYI. Twinks prefer. Or so they tell me. Twinks prefer. <laughs> okay, thank you, Zach. Love you. Love you too, baby. If you enjoyed this episode of The Luminaries, let me know. Give me a five-star rating on iTunes. Write a glowing encomium. Share it on your Instagram stories. Email it to your Aunt Joan. And help make this series bigger and better with every episode. Thank you for listening, and let's grow together. See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.